for Katie. Q for Katie. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome already, to the Amateur already, Radio. Already, already, five demerits. Here's your first slip-up. Go, go ahead. Hey, okay, that's your slip-up, not mine. Go ahead, go ahead. Welcome, welcome to the Amateur Radio Roundtable, where you never know how this show is going to actually get started, but we always manage to pull it off. <laughs> I'm one of your co-hosts here tonight, KDWY7YL, along with KWY7FD, Glenn KW5GP's in the house, as well as B, sorry, Bill WB8ELK, and Alan's back, and Doing all kinds of cool techie stuff, W2AEW, and we've got David Rush tonight with us with KC8JQ forward slash five. I'll have to find out what that's all about. And of course, our illustrious host, Tom W5KUB. We are broadcasting live on the shortwave station WBCQ on 7490. We'd love to hear about where you're listening to us from and what kind of signal report you could give us or any feedback about the show. If you'd like to send us a note, just drop one to Tom at W5KUV.com. Well, today is already October 19th. I can't believe how quick the year is going by. We've already had our first big snow out here in Wyoming and some more is on the way. It's just amazing. But really want to say thank you to everybody who's watching out there, whether you're here on the website, W5KUV.com, or on YouTube, or on Facebook. If you're on YouTube, don't forget, hit that like button and subscribe and share with your friends. We'd love to have you join us on our Facebook group. We've got about 12,000 hams on there. And even though it sounds like a lot of people, we're like a big, like we're like a big small family and lots of great information and tips and techniques and just, you know, new radios are shared on that page and it's a lot of fun. And I uh, hope you'll pop over there. Just look for W5KUB, Amateur Radio Roundtable, and join our page. We'd love to have you. We've got a lot of stuff going on tonight. We're going to do a few shack pictures. Dave's going to be talking to us about, I believe, raspberry pie, if I'm correct. He's nodding. Are you giving me a nod? All right, good. Shoo. And uh, Alan always has some great tech tips. Before the show started tonight, we're, I was saying to Alan that I've been hearing his voice in my house a lot lately because Dwayne's been watching a lot of his videos. And so um, if you ever are in need of some good tech advice, pop over to Alan's YouTube channel. Um, I believe it's just under your call sign, isn't it, Alan? W2AEW. So check out Alan's YouTube channel for some more info. And so with that, let me make sure I haven't missed anything because Tom has given me strict instructions not to screw this up tonight. So that means probably will but that's okay <laughs> we like to keep it loose and fun here so with that saying i think they covered all i'm gonna go ahead and pass it back to the boss tom w5kub where are you all right I, save I'm, me. I'm here <laughs> i'm here and you did good katie i ought to say you did good not perfect but you, you did good all right. hey, what do you want for a last minute decision well and, and guys let me let me tell you you know we used to talk a lot about this on the show. We used to have hangout after the show, but uh, I may make some uh, uh, boo-boos tonight. Uh, I was on uh, wh what kind of medicine was that they gave me yesterday? I, well, you know, I, yesterday I had the uh, webcam sent up the rear, you know, and he put me to sleep. You know, one of those type things. You know, you know what I'm talking oh. about. I'm on the five <laughs> five-year plan. 
so I, I was sleeping a whole lot yesterday, man, and uh, I don't know if I got all that out of my system or not, but we're going to, if the show goes wild here tonight, Glenn, just pull us back on track. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. That's the last person to put us back on track. <laughs> all right. So, uh, let's see. All right. Uh, wow. So, doing good here. Good report yesterday. Doing good. Uh, we got a lot to cover tonight, as Katie mentioned there. So, uh, it's going to be an interesting show tonight. Let's uh, let's go out in the, in the room here and let's just say hello to a couple people there. Uh, first of all, let's see if we can. Uh, Alan, how you doing tonight? Come on in here, Alan. Alrighty. Good evening, everybody. Good to see you all. And uh, looks like we have an interesting show uh, for tech tips tonight. I'm just going to kind of follow up what we did last week, where we kind of talked a little bit on paper, if you will, about how a super heterodyne receiver works. Uh, we're going to kind of follow that up with part two and show you what some of those signals look like in various stages of a superhet receiver. So uh, for those of you that watched my latest video that I posted a couple days ago, you already saw it, but <laughs> you're going to see it again. <laughs> anyway, that's what I got. Well, so, that's good. Looking forward to it. All right. Uh, who's next? Who's next? Uh Let's take Bill. Bill Bill Brown, how you doing, man? And I understand you got run over at Walmart. Well, it wasn't Walmart. It was Menards. But a oh, uh, hundred okay. shopping carts smashed me to the concrete floor. So I have a fractured uh, ankle, but it's not too bad. I can hobble on it. So uh, but I had to be yeah. taking a little. So I've been, been taking it a little easy. But... Uh, we have some exciting news about uh, Jamboree on the air. I have a few photos that I can show you later. We okay, got, we'll so. talk about that. And I think I know what you're going to talk about. Yeah. So uh, it's great to get the, uh, the Boy Scouts in, involved in uh, amateur radio. And uh, so that's always exciting to see that. All right. Well, just remember, next time all the shopping carts heading your way, remember, duck and roll. Just duck and roll. That's what you're supposed to duck do, and, man. Duck and cover. Duck and D cover. Duck, well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I guess it depends on the terrain or whatever. Okay. Hey, Glenn. How you doing, Glenn? Come on in here and say hi. Hey. How's it going? Doing pretty good. Uh, I don't know why your picture didn't switch. Are That's you? because oh, I'm hiding. See. There you go. There you go. <laughs> hey, hey, Glenn and I, we uh, we met up at the uh, uh, Ham Swap Fest uh, this past weekend over in Arkansas, and we'll talk a little more about that later, Glenn. And I've got a little one-minute video, and we'll, we'll uh, we, we've got you at your table there. Yeah. What well, else is going on? I got my copy. I got my oh, copy. Oh man. Did, you know, if this if this writer was any good, it'd be fun to have. But yeah. Finally got, got my copies of my own book. Now, did they charge you for that, or did you get that free? No, I got it free. Well, that's good. I'm special. Good, good. Did, did, did wait. You, what's the name of it? Uh, show us show us again. I don't see the name. It's More Arduino for Ham Radio. All right. Well, that is cool, man. We got Arduino in here, and guess what? Tonight, we also have Pi on here. Now, Raspberry Pi is different than Arduino, and maybe you guys can discuss that and the differences tonight. But uh, both of them are, are fun to uh, to work with, I know. And did you get the, 
author to autograph it? No, he's he won't. Okay. Maybe we should have a showdown between the Arduino and the Raspberry Pi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that could be fun. Oh yeah. All right. Let's see. Um. Okay. Um, that leaves and you we've got we, our our guest tonight. Our guest tonight is uh, David Rush, KCAJQ. David, are you there? I am there. There Hi, you go. Yes, there you Okay. Man, how are you doing tonight? I am well, and <laughs> I'd say, and you guys, but everybody's giving us all their their health reports, so you're all ambulatory. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> so we're about level field. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, looking forward to doing your segment tonight and talking about uh, your show. You've got a podcast on called Drama. I do. And uh, Drama because stands I'm for Dave Rush, and it's an Ask Me Anything. So Dave D-R-O. Rush, Ask Me Anything, Drama. So that 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 may be a little exciting. We'll talk a little about that in just a little while. Okay. All right, Katie. Katie, uh, are you going to try to pull some pictures up and, and share them? I see some more. There we go. I thought she's, I, she's having. Is she having problems? Do it. Oh, there uh, it is. Yeah, it's she, done now. She can't get the mouse to work. Well, right. it's, it's just. It's not that. Right. It's uh, just. Well, uh, just uh, hand me that demerit list here, please. Yeah. Right. Get another, get another demerit. Another demerit. Trying to get the mouse to work. Now okay. I've got the mouse in my hands. So All right, uh, All I right. have the power to mute her. No, <laughs> Glenn's going to be jealous on that one. All Usually right. I'm muting Glenn. And you know yeah, what? You, you know, hey, just, just hey, Rodan. Hey, yeah. just just one observation, Katie. You and Dwayne's picture is smaller on here than anyone else. So I don't know if your camera resolution is down or not, but it's okay. It's a decent size, but it is smaller. I don't know why we haven't changed anything. It's the snow. Uh, Everything contracts when it's cold. I guess it does. Hey, yeah, our, our internet contracted down next to nothing for about three days. Yeah, we've been having a lot of issues. How, how much, just real quick, looks- before we get into uh, Shaq pictures, uh, how much snow did you guys get? Anything significant? Bootafoot. Yeah, it was about a foot of snow, yeah. and now we're expecting a few inches again. Yeah. Not expecting too much tonight, but it's it's snowing out there already. That wow. would shut our shut our area down for at least a week or more. Yeah, oh, yeah. I was Maybe. I was just in Arkansas two weekends ago, so I missed the I missed your little uh, ham ham get together by a weekend. Um, but I analyzed the job, we got the job, so. We're going to be there in January putting that sawmill together. Well, I can tell yeah. we're having a little bit of internet trouble with you guys out there. I think your wires are cold. They're probably frozen. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Katie, you want to pull up some of the first pictures there? We'll, uh, we'll do the ones that we can find, okay? Okay. Let me um, go over here. And Ooh. I see what you mean about the camera. I don't know what's changed, but um, let me share our screen here. So we did have um, this past weekend, we had a club meeting and uh, Dwayne started, we started with an extra class. We have how many, how many guys in the class? Five? Four. Well, we have four people from the club that are in the extra class. 
And uh, and at our meeting, we found out from a couple of members that said they've been talking up ham radio lately with a bunch of people. And so we're going to work on some updated PR out there in the community because they said they've been talking to quite a few people who are interested in at least getting their pack license so that they have some communications Um you know, and hopefully we can also get them interested in our club and in our community activities. And then um, we couldn't seem to figure out anything that worked for everyone's schedule for like a Christmas party. So instead, we as we kept working our way through January, we ended up at Winter Field Day. So, so we decided we're going to do Winter Field Day at our clubhouse and have a party. So we're just going to kind of roll it all into one. <laughs> all right. So anywho, that's kind of what we've been doing. But so we did, um, Tom put the call out for some shack pictures, and um, so I'm just pulling these up from Facebook, and for, I know we've shown are, a couple of shots from Robin's Katie, shack. Katie, are you on a NASA page, or is this shack pictures? I know, this that's This is Robin's Robin. updated shack. He's, yeah, Gulf One Mike Hotel yeah. uniform. He's gotten some new monitors, and um, a I was A couple of new rigs, and... And also this really cool stacking system. He's got some um, in different areas of his shack, but yeah, it's really slick looking. So he's, you know, he's got two of the ICOM 7610s. Um, he's got a 7900, a 7300, and a 705. Um, and you can see, and then um, and our friend Bob pointed out that he's also got a scotch sitting on the table over here. So, <laughs> so let's see. So thank you for sharing that, Robin um let's see we're gonna have to just kind of wing it here guys sorry um oh bill we know this guy let's look at this this is your qsl card hey look at all that dark hair of yours <laughs> back at, when you were in ohio still same call sign that's super cool that's a great photo i actually had hair then yeah and it, <laughs> i don't want to say that hard. i just said dark hair and uh that's a uh, Halicrafters SX101A receiver, which is really a phenomenal receiver. And uh, that's a Viking, Johnson Viking 2 that I used uh, on CW. It used those FT243 crystals. And we, we uh, always tried to put some graphite on, on them to change the frequency, or we used an eraser to try and, try and change the frequency. It was a big crystal inside of this folder you could unscrew and oh. so it was a lot of fun but this is circa 1970 this was one year after i got my uh, my ham radio license cool you and ever any, used the nail file to oh. try and change some of the frequency do what now you ever use a nail file to, to make a crystal smaller that would probably be a radical change but yeah I, I just basically tried the graphite <laughs> and the eraser we had some receivers when I was in the Marine Corps that we had to do that too. When they changed our bands, we didn't have the right crystals, so we took the bigger crystals and made them smaller. Hey, That's look great. at this youngin! All right, here's our ho look at like Glenn's like had to take his glasses off to get a closer look. Look at Tom, 1964. Tom, why don't you talk about your shack there? That's a great. We should do some old photos too sometimes. Some you know early. Early, I should say old early photos. <laughs> yeah, I uh, uh, I was uh, deep into it there. You can tell by the way I'm concentrating. I'm sure that there was some rare DX coming in at that point. But you know, back then uh, for a novice back then, we didn't work much DX. If we uh, hey, if we worked California, that was DX for us. And uh, 
But uh, there's some of the equipment we had, you know, a separate transmitter, a separate receiver, a night kit transmitter, uh, Helicrafter's uh, SX-140 receiver that it actually did 80 through 6 meters, and it, that transmitter also did 6 meters. Uh, and uh, I held my tech uh, and my novice license at the same time. Back then you could do that. So I was WN5KUB on the novice bands on CW. And I could get on six meter voice uh, as WA5KUB. You know, back then when we got our license, the novice license was good for one year. And if you didn't upgrade, you couldn't renew it. It was over with. So there's a couple pieces of test equipment up there a signal generator and ICO uh, signal tracer. Uh, that's about it. Pretty simple shack there. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Demerit. Sorry. Demerit's coming. <laughs> Technical difficult again. She cannot run the mouse tonight. I can run it either. Quiet. <laughs> All right. Sorry, folks. Um, oh, right. there's another Tom hot picture. This looks like when you were in the military. No, no. That was, that was no. about the same time period, about 1964, 1965. And wow. I think it's, a, uh, there, it's the same uh, T-150 transmitter and receiver there, but... Uh, I think, uh, help me out here, guys. I think it was barred. Is that a, that's a DX40, I think. Yeah, you got the DX40 in the text. Yeah, that's a DX40 there and the, the uh, VFO, um, the Heathkit VFO above it there. And down on the very end there, the left end there, was actually a six-meter converter, which I never used for anything. My, my receiver did have six meters on it. But uh, uh, right above the receiver is a homebrew electronic keyer. Uh, it, uh, it, uh, weighed about 20 pounds. It had a transformer out of a TV, uh, to, to run it. It was a tube, uh, keyer, and there's a Vibroplex key on the desk there. And if you notice that I've got a fancy desk right there, uh, two by fours. Yeah, that door. Two by fours at a door. Uh, that's, uh, that's it, man. All you need. Yeah, that's great. The only drawback to a door is you got to make sure that the hole's in the right spot. Put well, it in the back where the doorknob hole that's is. That's true. That's then true. Then you can run wires through it. That's true. Now this next one's not really a shack picture, but it's uh, it's a homebrew and it was in my dorm room at college. Oh my and, gosh! Uh, that right there, uh, we built that in a floor one one day, and uh, you can I see we kept our say, parts. That's, uh, Kind of going to do the Lego thing on your feet in the dark? Yeah, we yeah. kept our parts under the bed there. That is about, that's a 6146 transmitter. We put it in the AM band. I, I'm guessing it was about 90 watts. And we had a long wire antenna that went, our, went out our second floor window out to a tree or a telephone pole out there. And, you know, back then we didn't have telephones in the rooms or anything like that, but we were lucky right outside our door we had the hallway telephone on the wall right outside our door so people would call us with requests for music of course we didn't have a, a big uh, uh amount of different uh, music so they usually got what we had but uh that was radio station k-r-u-d crud and uh <laughs> we um crystal controlled uh we had a, i had a ham friend in russellville arkansas that worked for the um forestry service and their radios <laughs> and somehow he had a crystal that put us right at the top end of the uh, the broadcast band so we used that we, we weren't on real long 
we did not get called into the dean's office for that. We did for other things, but uh, we, we didn't get in any trouble with that. Tom, I think uh, if you uh, if you didn't clean up all those parts at night, uh, those would be worse than Legos stepping on to pass <laughs> resistors. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in my doctor's office, there's a little sign on the wall that says, on a scale of one to stepping on a Lego, what's your, what's your pain? <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right, so here's someone new. I don't remember that we've shared his shack pictures before, but this is Brian. November 2, Oscar Tango Yankee from Amsterdam, New York. And he has got the, F the Yaesu FTDX 3000, and he's using the MFK 998 tuner with it, um, and um, using this um, the uh, ALS 1306 amp with it. Also got the Yaesu FTM 400, and sharing the love with an ICOM 9700. Um, he said he just got a new Mosley. Pro 67B antenna about a week ago, so he's looking at getting that up to be about 70 feet in height. Uh, it's motorized in a fold-over tower for this coming spring and summer. So, you know, Brian's going to be looking for some new friends in the Amsterdam area because there's going to be an antenna project coming up. <laughs> that's a really nice look. That's a sharp-looking shack. Thank you for sharing that, Brian. Appreciate that. And that one kind of looks like a Star Trek phone right there. I'm not sure what's does. going on, but. <laughs> <clears throat> I know, but it just kind of looks like. Oh. And let's see. And here's our last one. Whoa. Wait for it to. There we go. John's photo. All right. John didn't give us description, so you know what that oh, means. Boy. Time for everybody to show to make up what's in his shack. It looks to me like he needs a cooler on his computer. It's red hot. I know. <laughs> well, right okay, here. Let's make it up, guys. Right, let me blow top, it up. Top here, right. But. Top right. I see the uh, Kryptonite Paraphase Thunder Thunderbolt Greaser Slapper. Oh yeah, he's he's got the hotline to the White House there on the right too. Yeah. I was just gonna yeah. say he's got the backup communication there at the bottom right. Yeah. Right. All right, so uh, guys, is, you got to know this. If you don't give us a description, uh, Katie gets to make up things. So, you know. I like the fluffer nutter thing that you came up with. Yeah, fluffer nutter. <laughs> the fluffer nutter thing. Gotta, this almost looks like it could, it's built almost like a go box, but there's just too much stuff in there on the left to be a go box, but kind of the same concept. You get the radios in there, and then he's got a place, he's hanging his headphones and his microphones on the side. That's actually pretty handy to use for a um, nice corner spot. Looks like he's been relegated to the basement in the corner there, so that's... <laughs> that computer's just way too hot. Oh, yeah. That's, that's really super cool, though. All right, so yeah, that's a great looking shack, John. I'm not even sure what John's. Oh wait a minute, there's a comment here. I'm not yeah. sure what John's call sign is. Did he add anything? You want comment? No, I apparently can't even see it. So I think there's right, some well, more, thanks. Katie. I think if you scroll down, there's some more down below. All right, let's see. I think scroll I'm, I'm oh, seeing. Oh, yeah, there we go. Oh, so if you're hunting Kaylin. for a couple, I sent you a couple uh, emails, some pictures from my shack from 20 years ago. Oh, cool. Did you email it or you put it on I, I Facebook? I emailed them to you, Katie. So there are a couple of shots from that and then one shot from uh, uh, way before ham radio. Oh, okay. Way before ham radio. All right. So, all right. So, Galen, he's uh, Kilo Echo Zero Queen Papa Golf. And let's see. <laughs> he said since he can't read and do as originally asked. So, he, he apparently wasn't ready for us to make up whatever was in his shack. And he gave us a little description here. Uh, the Palstar AT2K, 
Yesu, another FTDX 3000. That is, you know, super radio, very obviously very popular. Also the 991A, the FTM 7250. So obviously we've got a Yesu Shack going on in here. Um, he's got a few other switchers going on that we're not seeing in here. And um, looks pretty, is that the power supply that we need? No, or the switcher? That's the, that's the, that's the uh, tuner. Oh, the tuner, okay. Tuner. Oh, gotcha. All right. Very nice. That looks good, too. Thank you, Galen. So he must be here somewhere in the middle of the country with a zero call. And there's Earl. Wow. Oh. He's got a lot going on there. That looks awesome. Look at that mixer he's got. Sheesh. Yeah, we get to make up stuff, too. Look at this. Whiskey Alpha 4 Kilo Bravo Tango. He's yeah, I like, the, I like the DX160 there. I got one of those. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's the first radio I used to listen to. Well, I, I bought the DX160 that I have, I, I bought uh, after saving up a whole summer's worth of lawn mowing money. Yeah, well, I, got, I got mine by default. My roommate left it when I was in uh, in Japan. He couldn't haul it back, so he oh. left it with me, and I had it. So. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. What we got in there? He's got some rigs. Let's blow up a couple things here, so now we can see a little bit closer. But can't read anything. I can't. Any it's. it's uh, sorry. It's just the quality. But we'll keep moving because I really want to hear what uh, David has to watch tonight. So, um, I did just get. Hold on, I'm going to minimize this and drag this over for you guys. Look Holy at that God. young man. There we go. Who is. Wait, here it comes. I'm sorry, there's a delay here. Where is it? It's coming. There he is. Whoa, look at that. <laughs> so, Alan, this is from how long ago? 20 years ago? It's probably from 2000, from 21 years ago. Yeah, you still drive Fords? I do, actually. <laughs> I think right. I, I, yeah, I still have that sweatshirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's one thing one, one thing is you don't have the hair anymore. No, I don't have the hair anymore. No. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Let me or, see. Or he sent beard. me another one, so let me just grab this real quick. Um, and then this one you said is pre. Oh, no, I think that that. One. Oh my goodness, that's too cute. Look at you. Here comes another <laughs> quick one. Sorry, guys, you're looking at my uh, paper there real quick with. Uh, yeah, that's, he is. that's probably uh, that's probably fifty five years ago. <laughs> oh, that's super cute. <laughs> did you send me a Shaq picture too? I did. Yeah, the Let's other one. The other one. There's two other ones that are actually four pictures in the Shaq. I, I had a pair of glasses exactly like that, Alan. <laughs> I think we I all did. Yeah. There we go. You're looking kind of mean there. Working. <laughs> oh my God! Well, there we go. There's a shack picture. Kind of yeah, looks like right the uh, mad, mad scientist or something, you know? Kind of, I don't know. Maybe, maybe on a James Bond movie, the mad guy, you know, the bad yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that an extra sketch up yeah, there? Yeah, it's got an extra sketch. <laughs> yes, it is. It's got my call sign on. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Can't quite see that, but it's probably well, it's probably fun. right after I bought the 870, so that's probably 2001. And you get that yeah, really, you get that really large after the 870. You got a really large globe up here. Yep. <laughs> That's your nice. logging program is the etch sketch right? There you right. go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop got you, got the popsicle. Lollipop. Oh, that's great. That was fun. Thanks, everybody, for sharing. What was that? 
I now I, I guess I'm going to have to dig up my old pictures. Yeah, you do. Yeah, we're going to have to see those one day, Glenn. Yeah, but Glenn, when you show yours, you're watching dinosaur eggs hatch. That's right. <laughs> Those pictures are drawn on the Etch-a-Sketch. Gert was new and improved back then. Well, if you're like me, you just uh, ran, your pictures of you randomly show up on the internet that people dig up for a place. There's this picture Pretty of me much. from w, W1AW like 10 years ago that every now and then pops up on a foreign hams page and then it gets shared. and Like, oh, great picture. I'm like, thanks. I was a lot younger then. <laughs> Well, you you got anyway. So thanks everybody for check pictures. Let's shoot to do it again maybe next month, and we'll do a little more pre pre bagging, and uh, we'll be a little more organized. A little more preparation. A little yeah. more preparation. Yeah, but thank you. I'll turn it back to you, Tom. All right, thank you, Katie. Oh, okay, that was uh, great. I I didn't think we were going to get many check pictures at first. Uh, we didn't get uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people sending them in. We got a few there at the last minute, so uh, that's good. And we had a lot of new ones, you know. Used to, uh, you, and I asked this time if you sent your Shaq pictures in the last six months, uh, don't send them in this time. That may be why we got less, but uh, usually we get tons and tons of Shaq pictures there. All right, let's uh, take just a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. ICOM has a perfect base station ready for action. The IC9700, the 7610, and the 7300 SDR transceivers are top of the line and are the first choice for contesters across the globe. Robust base stations like these cut through the pileups, letting you work the bands and record those contacts. Stay connected remotely with the RSBA1 app to keep your competitive contesting edge with ICOM. Heard it, worked it, and logged it. The IC7851 gives you a new window into the RF world and is HF excellence unparalleled. With faster processors, high input gain, high display resolution, and a cleaner signal, it's truly the pinnacle of HF perfection. The SDR that every ham wants is the IC7610. This high performance SDR can pick out the faintest of signals even in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. The 7610 is a direct sampling software-defined radio, and it will change the world's definition of an SDR transceiver. Create your own band openings with the IC9700. This transceiver brings direct sampling to the UHF-VHF weak signal world. This all-mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features that are sure to keep you busy. It has faster processors, higher input gain, higher display resolution, and a cleaner signal. The IC7300 changed the way entry-level HF is designed. This high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design will far exceed your expectations. Visit www.icomamerica.com amateur for more information on ICOM radios. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for every amateur need. From QRP to QRO, fixed stations, portable and remote, an LDG tuner will match your radio to your antenna using our lightning-fast, proprietary tuning algorithms. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing innovative, quality products to the amateur market. All LDG products carry a full two-year warranty that is fully transferable. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. Visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com. 
All right, and we are back, and we want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight to the show. Uh, again, if you're out there listening on International Shortwave, WBCQ, 7490, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to tom at w5kub.com. Also, please uh, hit the subscribe button. We'd love for you to hit that subscribe button. It really helps us a lot. And let's see, what else can I tell you? Oh, join our Facebook group. We've got a great Facebook group of over 12,000 hams. And uh, just just uh, it's called Amateur Radio Roundtable, or it's called W5KUB. The simplest way is just type in a search on, on uh, Facebook for W5KUB, and you'll find it there. All right. Well, very good here. Uh, hey, our next guest uh, contacted me. It's David Rush, KC8JQ. And uh, David has a podcast called Drama. That stands for Dave Rush, Ask Me Anything. Katie, may, you know, Glenn, Bill, may, maybe we need to make up something for, you know, make our letters mean something. <laughs> but uh, Drama, okay. And uh, the, the show focuses a lot on Raspberry Pi computers and and using them for tools for people studying to achieve various IT uh, certifications and so forth. So let's bring um, let's bring Dave in right now and say hello to him. Hey, Dave, how you doing? I am well, Tom. You? I'm doing good, man. So uh, you've got a podcast, and uh, hey, one of one of our goals is that we're going to help each other out. We're gonna we're gonna tell people about your podcast, and you're gonna tell people about our podcast, and and we're going to triple our numbers here. We, That's we, right. sure, we need to, we need to <laughs> so do that, I could right? go from 20 to 40, you're saying, huh? That's, That's right. Incredible. That's right. We need to do that. <laughs> so tell us, a little about, tell us a little about your uh, podcast, when it is, and, and, and why you're doing it, and just sure. some basic information yeah. about it. Sadly, it's not tightly tied to ham radio. I've, I've been a ham for coming up on 40 years now, I believe. Uh, but we are... My company, I don't know where I'm an employee, uh, started life as book writers. We wrote, we write books for achieving all kinds of CompTIA certifications and other things in the IT world. And of course, the world has moved to video, so we've ported that over and, and we do a lot of video courses. I'm the stand up instructor. We are uh, one of a, a handful of federally approved instructors in computer forensics and all kinds of things along those lines. So I spend most of my time at three-letter agencies where they carry guns, and we talk about how to preserve evidence and how to seize computers and things like that. Well, of course, when shutdown came, the government said, we don't want you in our facilities breathing on us anymore. So we uh, we started a, well, a weekly broadcast, and then it turned into five days a week, and my boss does this very generic, let's talk about anything technological as it relates to these various IT certifications. And I'm a Raz Pi guy and an Arduino guy, not to Glenn's degree, of course, but right up there, having a lot of fun with it. And I asked him when he got bored and he said, I don't want to do five days a week anymore or three days. Can I have your slot? And we'll talk about Raz Pies. And he said, well, what do you want to do with Raspberry Pis? I don't want you doing just Raspberry Pis. That doesn't help the company make money. And I said, well, I had this idea that people could use Raspberry Pi computers, spend 35 bucks, and create tools that they could use to advance their studies. So from something as basic as 
building a web server to fundamental electronics, how to turn on LEDs and how to control them with web servers and how DNS works. And so kind of morphed into that. We do a two-hour show every Friday at 2 o'clock on YouTube. I'll throw you the link in a moment. And we talk for about an hour, news and tricks and traps of the week. And there we get technology in, we get astronomy in. We That's truly a, a Dave Rush Ask Me Anything. And then for the second hour, we do some kind of pie project. Today we're going to create a DHCP server. Today we're going to, this Friday, <laughs> I, I am veering away from the requirements of, of the, the studies that people are doing because they get a little bored with that sometimes. And we're going to do a, a, a retro gaming system. Some of the folks here watching and maybe some of the, the folks right here with me uh, have created a retro pie. So you got to pull out your handy dandy ancient wired game controller and play games that they invented in the 70s and 80s and maybe into the 90s. Wow. You've got a lot of stuff going here. Um, we do. A whole lot. And uh, I know there's several people in our chat room that's working on various IT certifications and, and so forth. Uh, and my son has done a lot of that, too. Uh, and uh, he, he constantly, uh, every, you know, every few months, he's constantly, I guess, having to renew or learn new stuff. Because I guess you guys are, are discovering new things, right, all the time. Stuff changes. All the time. We thank the hackers for that. Every time they find a weakness, it's... The, the job of the IT world to shore that up and then create new technology where they don't have to shore it up. And as you say, it's it's a constantly moving target. I'm sure the folks at Yezu and ICOM are doing exactly the same thing. Well, you know. Plus, everything we do is obsolete every three years. So you've got to relearn new stuff every three years. Absolutely. When yeah. I was 13 and I went to my first Dayton Hamvention and I was agog at all these rigs and, and cool things and stuff that went way back before that. I, I asked, how do people do this? How do you get this stuff? Oh, you know, we buy it, we use it for three years, and it becomes obsolete, and we sell it and replace it with new or build new. Yeah. Well, and, you know, even, even nowadays, I mean, all the new radios, they're computers. And I, I guess you have security issues with uh, with radios now. Well, you, you wouldn't think you would, but I guess... If you're not it, careful. You know, it probably goes back to yeah. when the, the first mods and the first, I guess we'd call them hacks today, came out. How to swap out a, a crystal for a VFO or how to install a noise blanker. Now, of course, the, the vendors, the manufacturers weren't upset about that. But with all kinds of secure communications going on, sure. Yeah, I mean, think about it. You got your, system, your rig hanging on the Internet now. So... You can do it. Somebody else can. I mean, remember the, what was it, the Big Bang Theory when they had the guys on the Internet turning on and off their lights. That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, uh, that was interesting. They, uh, they, we, sent we, that, they sent that signal all the way around the world and turned their lamp on and off. Yeah. yeah. I got a big kick out of when they did the moon bounce episode, but it wasn't RF. Well, I was afraid they were going to blow the moon up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, know, don't know, I don't about, know how they. I don't know how they knew they wasn't going to blow the moon up when they did that. But uh, yeah, hey, you know that's some of the things that we want to do. Uh, EME moon bounce is something I still want to do here, uh, using digital and lower power and smaller antennas. 
So the kind of things you're talking about there are, are things that I still want to do in ham radio, and it, it, we have an application in ham radio to do them. Me too. I've never done AMSAT, and that's something I've always wanted to play with. Yeah. Uh, so uh, your show is every, every uh, Friday, and it runs for a couple hours. And I guess if you're on YouTube, everything's recorded, right? So you've got a lot of that's shows correct. recorded. And people are going to be able to go back and, and pick out different shows that maybe they missed or are interested in. Right. Uh, We've got 64 shows in the can, I believe, right now. We started doing this around June or so of 20, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So well, We need to make sure. Are you in the chat room tonight? Uh, are you in I'm our not. chat not. You're, you're not? It's okay. Not. We'll, we'll, we need to make sure that we get your... Uh, your website and all that stuff out too so uh if you you can't get it if you can't get it in the chat room uh just send it to me and then later i'll post it on our facebook page and i'll I'll still post it on our facebook page for others uh that sounds good okay uh Um, so do you uh yeah you said you used to work for a lot of these three-letter companies and uh i understand what you're talking about there um so, do you have a? Are are you in any uh, contact with hackers as far as professionally there in your job? Do you, do you work with hackers? I don't work with with white hat hackers who are on the outside of government agencies. Uh, I have worked with hackers inside the uh-huh. agency. They are they're amazing. They are so smart. While there are suite of cracking tools and. Uh, things like that, the the real bad guys, the serious bad guys come up with their own stuff or they modify existing stuff. And then they have these utterly brilliant people working throughout government facilities who are looking at stuff, taking basic tools and then writing whole new swaths of code to pull this stuff apart. And they use analog technology and digital technology. It's It's nothing like the movies, as you would well expect. Nothing ever is. Uh, but it is like the movies in the same way that uh, we remember programmers in, in Unix and Linux worlds who locked themselves in dark rooms and didn't bathe for many months. That's not far off from some of these folks. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dave, I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, I go into cybersecurity classes here and give a little talk about uh, hackers, and I tell them I was one of the very first hackers of a distributed uh, communication system, but it wasn't the uh, internet, and they just never figured it out. Can you guess what that was? Uh, I'm going to guess you were listening to Grandma's Party Line. No, I was a uh, a blue box blue box uh, phone hacker. Oh, okay. Actually, I'm not super far off, but that's in- that's incredible. Nice, hey, Dave. Uh, I- and I was- Contemporary with uh, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, uh, I found the information about the secret frequencies in the 1960 Bell Telephone Technical Journal in the library in California and scrawled across it was, congratulations, you found it too, W-O-Z. Nice. Oh, that's a a great story. Thanks. Mm. Uh, Dave, I wonder uh, in your your circle of... uh, Computer forensics. Do you know uh, Rebecca Mercury, uh, K3RPM? Only by name. 
Okay. Yeah, she's uh, she's also a local here in New Jersey, a friend of mine. So and I know she's in, okay. the same, in the same business. <laughs> yeah. I don't think she's probably heard of me. I live at a, a much lower tier or a, a much less visible tier when I'm doing what I do. Yep, yep. So, so we've started exploring, Glenn, uh, the, the relatively new product from the Raspberry Pi folks, the Raspberry Pi Pico. It's got some some comparisons to Arduino. Arduino does, a, of course, has a, a much larger community and a, a much larger base of technology, but a lot of fun playing with both because I never played with Arduino until I started playing with the, the 2040. And once I understood, oh, okay, that's how that works. Now I can play Arduino. So piles of stuff over here. <laughs> yeah, it's addicting. You know, and it seems like the world is moving towards Python. Absolutely. So. Right. People ask on our show all the time, uh, especially younger folks, I'm, I want to get into IT. I want to play. Uh, I want to be a, a DevOps or something like that. What language should I learn first? And we don't have the answer. We have cast that out to zillions of other DevOps. And hands down, by far away, number one, Python, followed by JavaScript. I thought Java. Java was supposed to die, though. <laughs> it's the language that won't die. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And of course, it, the guys who are, are looking to do things, uh, get processing to happen quickly, they're playing C and C++, and a few of them still C sharp. But yeah, yeah, I mean, Python is so easy to learn. It's so easy to grasp as a first language. Yeah, it's, it's like, like the basic that we had way back when. Absolutely. Well, and, and there's still fundamentals of BASIC that's been carried forward into Python and helped me learn it. All right. So, Dave, why don't you uh, give us your uh, website or you, where, where we can go to see some of your videos and join sure, your... Sure, yeah. Uh, I didn't make a slide for it. I never even thought about it, well, but it's okay. pretty easy to remember. Uh, let me preface it by saying the company I work for, nobody ever heard of. It's called Total Seminars. But okay. everybody knows our president and our, our senior author and, and all the... Our celebrity face, his name is Mike Myers, or Michael Myers, and he writes and has written all the most popular CompTIA certification books. A lot of your folks on here know that. And so with that in mind, our uh, our YouTube channel, we do, again, this, this show three times a week. Mike does it Mondays and Wednesdays. I do mine on Friday at 2 o'clock Central Time, and it's YouTube slash user slash, I love this, Total Seminars channel, all one word. So YouTube.com slash user slash Total Seminars channel. And we'd love for you to come in. You, uh, Mike talks about anything and everything, all technologies. How does fiber optics work? How, uh, what's the signaling look like? Uh, how does uh, Diffie-Hellman process work? How do you? And then mine, of course, moves a little more tightly focused. I'll take any question for the first hour on any technology. I got a... I got a, we got a crew uh, who works the back channel. They're reading questions on the YouTube chat way in advance of us, and they know what we know and what we don't know. And if there's something we don't know and can at least get started on it, they'll post an article on our back channel. And uh, some, most of the time I work solo. Oftentimes I work with a partner, my direct supervisor. He's a, an editor and a writer and a technologist by so. He's reading questions and prepping, ready to go. And then when we get on a project, then it's all me. 
All right. Well, hey, let's talk ham radio just for a minute. Are, are you active much on ham radio? I wish I could say yes. Um, at my age, I should be more active and, and be doing less work. But I work like a 20-year-old. I've, oh, yeah. I put yeah, in about yeah. 16 hours a day, and weekends come. I don't want to do anything except work out a little bit and lose some weight. So uh, I have a shack. It's, it's buried up there, and it stars uh, a Drake TR4 line, DR4CW. Oh, yeah. yeah. R4VVFO and uh, a handful of that. So I don't even have work bands. I still work the old ancient stuff when I'm up there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, and Katie asked a question. I wanted to answer that. Uh, I did something to show my age. Some of you are maybe familiar with this. Back in the day when you had a call sign from a region, my eight is from Ohio, and you operated outside your region then you added that slash and the region number right so i'm kcajq portable five technically but not anymore it's just there for nostalgia well that's right and you're down in houston now and just like that's i'm uh, you know uh when i got my license i was a five i kept the five and uh i'm over in tennessee now which is a four but i'm only right. probably 30 miles from uh, you know where where i originally <laughs> was licensed you know but uh Okay, well, hey, hey, um, Dave, thanks so much, man, for being with us tonight. And uh, you want to stick around in, in here? And I, I don't know if you said you're in a chat room or not. There may be some questions for you. Uh, if I'll get in the chat room, and, and I'll stick around here for a little bit, okay. watch and listen. I, I can't wait to hear about part two of the Superhead. That's uh, a lot of fun. Okay. Well, we really appreciate you uh, joining us tonight and talking about this. And uh, we'll try to get the word out about your podcast and see if we can't well, help you. you. Uh, Increase your viewer base a little bit there. Yeah. And I appreciate it. Thank you for the invite. Everybody should know this all started out when uh, I, I found you in a different venue and I wrote you a, a letter to talk about that venue. And yeah. next thing I know, you said, hey, why don't you come on and talk about your thing? So I really appreciate yeah. that, Tom. Okay. Well, hey, man, thank you. Uh, thank you very much uh, for being with us. And uh, feel free to stick around and, and jump in with the conversation at any time, okay? Thank you, Tom. Everybody. All right. All right. Thanks. That was uh, David Rush, KC8JQ, who has a podcast on Friday afternoons called uh, Drama. Dave Rush, ask me anything. Okay. Yeah. Hey, let me throw this out there real quick, Tom, while Dave's still here. Yeah. Um, I ran into something really cool. You know, you want to talk about the old days and nostalgia. There is a website out there that has emulators for a lot of the old uh, CPUs. And kits. I bought the DEC PDP-8, the Altair 8800, which is ah. actually, the 8800 is Arduino-based, but the uh, DEC PDP-8 and 1170, I believe it is, of course. are Raspberry Pi-based. And there is a complete website out there, I have to dig up the URL, that will emulate those machines with the original code and everything. I have absolutely... Yep, I've used the, the PDP on that site. Yeah, so, yeah I that's, bought them. I had to buy them. I've got them over here waiting to be built. <laughs> Outstanding. Thanks, well, Glenn. Cool. If I remember right, the old PDP, uh, what were the, uh, Glenn, uh, was, it like a, was there a PDP-11 or something like that? Yeah, or? there was a PDP-8, the PDP-11. The 11 was the most popular business, and yeah. they used them for the, uh, the timeshare systems predominantly. But, well, uh, I, yeah, I remember yeah. I remember PDP-11. It was a pretty good-sized box, and now you can do all this with a little Arduino, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> you can make it yeah, small, I mean, they, right? They're emulating the Altair 8800 with a uh, Arduino Mega. All and, right. And they're using the Pi for everything else. And, I mean, it emulates the original code and everything. So, I mean, it's it's amazing how, how you can do it now with a small board. Yeah, it's really nice yeah. because those old CPUs, you know, had no no processing power by today's comparison. So yeah. you can do it easily on a, a gigahertz based system or anything that's done faster than that. Oh yeah. Now I um, on our uh, works uh, PDP eleven, and uh, we had a game that we'd been play at lunch, and it was just the uh, letters, a little letter box uh, square maze and it was called quest or something like that it was 26 levels down there'd be a d for a dragon and p for a potion and if you made it all the way down 26 levels you got the comma which is what you were after did you <laughs> is that the name of it quest do you, you ever play any of that one it was very popular like one of the I'd, early video games i i never never knew that uh, but you, you guys with that one you guys really had some nice computer equipment. All I had was a VIC-20, and I see Russ in the uh, chat room. He had a VIC-20, but uh, that thing had 8K of memory, man. Let me tell you, nobody would ever need more than 8K of memory. That's right. Right. I had a VIC-20 as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, actually, I had a Air 1 card. I still got that thing in the attic. I got an Air 1 card that plugs in the back of that slot on that VIC-20, and it sends and receives Morse code. I already get that thing out and play with it. That's neat. Yeah. I have a Sinclair, uh, several Sinclairs kicking around. And Radio Shack color computers, those were awesome. Oh, gosh, yeah. The Coco yeah. They uh, had 4K of um, RAM and uh, ran at 0.8 megahertz for the clock speed. And, you know, that thing will run rings around my 2.8 gigahertz machine with 8, you know, 8 gig of RAM. And the beauty of it is, you turn it on, it says ready. Yes. Instantly. And guess what? When you turn it off, what happens? It turns off. Yeah. You don't say, it doesn't say, um, please wait while we update Windows. And that always happens when you're trying to plug your computer as a thunderstorm's about ready to hit. <laughs> right. Yeah. I had a TI-99 4A and the, uh, the speech synthesizer card for it cart and i turned that into a contesting machine so nice. it would report five by nine 73s from kcajq and gone to the next contest and i didn't have to speak yeah we hacked the old speak and spells to get oh yeah synthesizers yep a friend of mine you remember the easy button i think it was uh what store had the easy staples button. staples and you could buy them and so a friend of mine hacked his, and then when you hit it, it says, that was harder than it looked. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, guys. Hey, thanks. Uh, let's move on, and uh, let's, uh, let's bring Alan in here, and let's talk about this will be, be part two about super hit receivers. So, Alan, you want to come in? Come on in here and talk a little about what you got to show us here. Sure, sure. So, yeah. So last week uh, we chatted a little bit about what a what makes up a super hit receiver. I'm just going to uh, share uh, kind of what we were looking at last week. A uh, little minor edit from what we had last week. 
Um, and again, this is just a really brief review here because what I'm going to do is take a look inside of a superhead receiver with a, a piece of equipment I, that I normally use for my job and I was able to kind of use it to make a video. But uh, so remember the superhead receiver, uh, we've got a front end that oftentimes has got maybe some bandpass filtering, some attenuation amplification, but the real magic of the superhead is kind of what goes on here. Uh, looking at the you know the mixer where we're down converting or up converting could be either way. The input signal's coming in into an IF, and then the IF filter is going to be selecting one of the mixing components, and then uh, then sending that through for the rest of the processing. And what we described was you know let's say we've got a couple of uh, radio stations here that goes into the mixer. We've got a local oscillator that may be in this case. What we call high side injection, where, we're, where that local oscillator is higher than all these input signals. And what we're interested in is looking at the difference between the input frequency or the, F, the local oscillator frequency and the input frequency. And that's what we get here. Now, because we actually have a minus sign in front of Fn right here, that means that the spectrum gets inverted. So this signal that's sitting right here is actually this one that's the lowest frequency signal coming in, it winds up being the highest one here because of the spectral inversion. So that's why I kind of drew these arrows going in this direction and this direction. The middle one is the middle one, and then this one here is this one over here, okay? And then what we're doing when we're tuning the radio, we're generally tuning this local oscillator, okay? Moving it back and forth, and what that's doing is moving these mixing products back and forth, and we're doing that until the signal that we want lands in the filter, essentially falls through, and that's the only thing that goes in to be further processed and received. So this is, you know, a pictorial graphic of that. And what I wound up doing is doing a, a video that described all of this, but then followed it up with some actual measurements. So I think what I'm going to, actually, no, I think I need to stop sharing again because I need to share again with computer sound so that I can actually bring up the sound of the back end of this video. So I'm going to start playing this, and then I'll pause for a second, and maybe Tom, you can let me know if the if the sound from okay. the video is coming through. So let me play about uh, ten seconds of this, and I'll stop. All right. Now our test subject for this video is my old realistic DX160 uh, five-band communications receiver. Were you able to hear that, uh, oh, that yeah. audio? It's it's coming through great. Okay, very good. So. Um, so I don't know if Eric is watching from his shock picture. He had the DX160. Well, guess what? We're going to look inside the DX160 now and look at those uh, signals inside there. So here we go. I bought this radio in the mid-70s after saving up lawn mowing money for a whole summer. I've got a number of probes sitting inside this receiver. And we're looking at the RF input uh, coming from the antenna, going through some uh, input amplification stages. And then we're looking at the local oscillator, the output of the mixer, and then the output of the IF filter. Okay, so here we have uh, a couple of selected points in that receiver looking at the spectral content of it. The top trace here, the yellow one, is looking at the RF input. So this is a portion of the AM band. Uh, I'm centered at about 830 kilohertz in the center here, um, starting from 580K up to 1.08 meg. So it's about the lower half of the AM broadcast band. I want to pause here for a second because one thing I wanted to point out is you'll notice a little bit of a hump in that noise floor. It kind of It's coming up here kind of towards the center, then goes off. But what that's showing you is that uh, in this particular receiver, when you're tuning the local oscillator, 
you are also tuning an input uh, bandpass filter. And if you watch carefully when I start tuning in a little bit, you'll see that hump move back and forth here as well. So here we go with the video some more. We can see a pretty strong signal here. There's another strong signal here. I've got some spurs in here just coming from noise here in the lab. So that's what's being shown uh, just in terms of the input signals coming into the receiver. This next trace here is actually looking at the spectral content of the local oscillator that's going into the mixer. Now, uh, while these two spectral plots have the same span, they have a different center frequency. So the center frequency of this one here is actually at 1.2 megahertz. Let's kind of center that up there. Okay, so that's centered at 1.2 meg. So we can see this signal here is sitting a bit higher than 1.2 meg. All right, so it's, a, it's over you know, past this uh, right side edge of the input spectrum. Now this signal down here shown in red is the output of the mixer. And uh, so it does have a bit of a hump right at the IF frequency of 455 kilohertz. And the reason for that is because the load of, the, of this uh, output of the mixer is going into a tuned circuit. It's going into an IF transformer. So it's essentially a tuned load. So it's going to provide more gain at the IF frequency. So it's essentially the beginning of the IF filtering, although it's not the IF filter itself. Now if we look carefully, we can see this input signal here, which is pretty strong. We can see the modulation sidebands on it. It's an AM signal. That signal is this guy over here. Okay, you can kind of recognize that if you look at them both at the same time, they're doing the same thing. So this is that spectral inversion that I mentioned. So working my way up, you know, there's another couple of signals working my way up. There's one here, another one over here. Those are this signal here, and then actually this one over here. And there's a couple of other strong ones here as well, like this guy here is likely that guy. All right. And then the, finally, the last uh, output here is taking the signal out of the mixer and going through the actual IF filter. So we're seeing essentially just the passband response. And we can see I've got you know, just a lot of gain at the 455 kilohertz center frequency. But all these other signals that are outside of that passband are really not making it through. So that's where we're getting our selectivity. So what we're going to do is tune the radio. And what we'll see is the local oscillator frequency move and this spectral content move so we can place any of these particular signals into that IF filter. So let's tune down, okay? So I, can, I want to tune down to this frequency here because that's about the strongest one I have on the band here. So that's this guy. We want to put that guy into the IF filter. So you notice as I'm tuning down, um, the local oscillator frequency is coming down and the spectrum of the signal, uh, the output is moving down. All those components are moving down here along with that. So I want to get down to that strong signal right here. I'm just going to ease up on it here. And now with that centered in, now I can see that signal is making it through the IF. Really no other signals are. And that particular signal is now being converted down from this LO to the mixer output, centered on the IF output or the IF filter. The IF is stripping away everything else but that signal. And that's the one that's going into the demodulator to actually go listen to. I hope you enjoyed this brief look. Yeah, so just a little bit of a follow-up from uh, from our discussion last week, and uh, I, had, I thought that uh, you know after presenting the the paper, you know, I got I had to do a video on this while I'm thinking about it, so I 
I, you know, I had the, the scope here for work and figured, what the heck? <laughs> I go grab, grab the, uh, the um, radio off the shelf and brought it down onto my, uh, into my office and, and spent a lunchtime uh, making a couple of uh, video clips uh, inside the receiver. So uh, hopefully that helps to kind of help you visualize what actually is happening in your receiver. And when you're tuning the knob, you're not necessarily tuning a tuned circuit. You're tuning the frequency of a local oscillator to uh, to actually bring in the signal actually you want to hear and stick it in the bucket of the the IF filter for going demodulating it. So, Mike uh, has a question in the chat room. Said, yeah, did you see it? Uh, or oh, let's see. You? So yeah, Mike Mike Fike's questions, the super heterodyne question: Does the IF filter need? a little bandwidth or perhaps to match up with the occupied bandwidth of the transmitter, or do you want it to be an extremely narrow filter for good selectivity? Well, Mike, it really, I guess it kind of has to be both, right? It has to be narrow enough to give you the selectivity that you want, but wide enough to pass the occupied bandwidth of the signal that you want to hear. So, which is why on amateur radio, we oftentimes have a selection of filters. It might have a you know, four or 500 hertz wide filter for something like CW or maybe some of the digital modes. We might have a 2.6 or 2.8 or 3 kilohertz filter for a single sideband. And then maybe a 6 kilohertz wide filter for AM or something like that. So uh, the answer is really uh, both there, Mike. Good question. All right. Any other questions? Cool, man. Keep Keep the uh, segments coming. We enjoy them. We will do. All right. Um, well, let's move on, I guess, to uh, our next thing. And, 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 again, if any other questions come in for you, uh, Alan, we'll be watching for them here, and we'll, get, we'll bring this back into discussion here. All right. Sounds great. All right. So, uh, hey, this weekend was um, – a ham fest over in my home, near my hometown, in over in Arkansas, and uh, Glenn and I went to it. Glenn went over and sold some equipment. He needed to sell some stuff, and uh, it was close to my hometown. And I wanted to go to my hometown and look around, and uh, so I stopped in at the ham fest. Got there kind of late. Um, uh, it was small. It was, really it wasn't a ham fest. It was called a ham swap meet. They didn't swap have any fest. prizes. It was a swap meet. And they ended up with about probably close to 50 people, I guess, joined. And this was their first year. And they really had a good facility to have it for inside. And he had plenty of room to tailgate outside. So uh, I think this thing's going to grow and probably become a good, probably turn into a ham fest uh, sometime in the near future there. Glenn, uh, uh, I've got a little quick video here. Let me run it, and then we'll talk a minute about it. So uh, this is, uh, I'm talking here to... Uh, uh, Al, uh, and Al's calls NI5A, I believe. He uh, set this up, so here we go. Well, that's not the video. Hey guys, I'm at the uh, Crowley's Ridge Swap Fest with Al, NI5A here. And um, this is their first year to have a Swap Fest. And uh, we, it's near my hometown, so we dropped in. and. Guess what? Look behind us. You might see Glenn Propel back here. He's, he's out here today. But uh, hey, uh, tell us a little about it and how you guys got this together and, and uh, how many people you've had come in today. All right. Well, uh, the club actually formed. Uh, the original Jonesboro Amateur Radio Club uh, basically dissolved. 
and I bought the equipment from the old Jones Ram Trader Club, and then we had the Poinsett County Club, and we were friends, and so we decided just to merge to form one group. And that's where we came up with the name Crowley's Ridge Amateur Radio Club. We're in about our fourth year uh, as a club, uh, and we do have a net that we call on Wednesday evening at 8.30, like anybody to join in that's just good. And this is our very first swap fest. And we were managed to get uh, this facility, and it's large enough, it's indoor, I think we can grow. And uh, we've had about 42 to 45 people here today. And so I think it was uh, pretty good for our very first one. Well, I think so, and uh, like you said, you got plenty of room to grow, a nice facility here, uh, you're out of the weather. Uh, I, I, I assume if you wanted to do some tailgating, you get they would allow tailgating out there, right? Yes, we. the parking area out there is huge, and uh, it's paid. And if people wanted to come here and get a table, uh, we only charge $10 for the table, and that money went for our club. But if they wanted to just tailgate outside, they could. And that would be free. All right. Well, hey, we're excited. I'm glad I got, got to uh, get up here and see us uh, this weekend with you guys. Uh, near my hometown of Wilson. Swing by there a little while. But, uh, you know, hey, too, man. You don't see too much anymore. You know, what's really nice is we've got uh, five vendors here that brought stuff, and a, and a lot of it was good old vintage stuff. Good old stuff. And you just don't get to physically hold and an old tube in your hand. And uh, anymore. I, I tell you what, back in the old days, when you turn that radio on and these tubes heat up and it dust, yes. that dust starts giving off that little dust. Yes. You knew uh, things were doing pretty good. Yeah. It's just like when you turn your heating system on the first time during the year and you get that little bit of a of an odor in your house. Yeah. That's the way the radio used to be. You know, when you hadn't used them in a week, you turned it on and you had that aroma in it. Those were good old days. That's right, they were. This, uh, uh, if this walk over and see Glenn for a minute. So, so hey, we're here with Glenn. Glenn made it. Everybody knows Glenn. And, uh, Glenn, sorry you didn't sell everything. But well, this is the first camp fest you've been, been ever to. First camp fest I've been to in forever. Yeah. Well, you got some nice looking stuff here. When you go out again? So, I mean, it, it's been fun. I got out of the house for a day. I mean, what more can you ask for? Yeah, nice day today. Yeah, perfect. It was like 49 degrees when I left the house this morning. Well, you know, it's a little small. It's been a enjoyable meeting and talking to everybody here today. And guess what? It looks like the hand tests are coming back now. Yeah, they are. After a couple of years, they're coming back. So, we're, we're thankful for that. All right. Well, what do you think, Glenn? I got there right about the time that everybody was kind of packing up to leave, I guess. Uh, but uh, 50 people, that's not bad for a rural area like that. No, uh, they need to get the word out a little bit more. But, you know, plus, you know, it's post-pandemic. So everybody's just kind of starting up. It was fun to get out, met a lot of new people. And, uh, you know, I got out of the house for a day and I broke even, maybe made a little bit of money on the deal. The problem is I brought more home than I, you know, sold. So gonna have to find another one well it was a little uh, closer than i thought it was it only took us yeah. about one hour to get there from here uh, yeah, how about just you an hour up the road all right you know, glenn the uh i saw a cartoon and it showed uh, uh a wife 
talking on the phone. Yeah, Bill went off to a ham fest to get rid of a bunch of junk in the ham shack and clear up the house a little bit. And it shows him driving in the driveway as she's on the phone, and it's his car is just filled with stuff, and it's tied to the roof. And <laughs> oh, man. Well, actually, so I, I was a little bit limited in space because I had a full car going up, so I could only bring a couple things back. But I, I think I bought one or two. But there was an interesting when we were talking earlier about the older radios and or or the newer radios, computers and hacking. There was a guy that sold a, an FT-101 EX, one of the original Yesu radios. And, of course, it's got the, the plate and the load knobs and everything like that. And the guy that bought it actually said, I guess I'm going to have to read the book to figure out how to use those knobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, <man. clears throat> I, I had one of those, but not the EX. I had FT-101 I think it was. Yeah, this one had uh, the external digital display and everything. It was a gorgeous radio. It still had the plastic <clears throat> on the front. Um, you know, I never removed the plastic from mine either. <laughs> wow. But that was a gorgeous radio. Yeah. It was. I, I just thought it was funny. The guy had to read the book to figure out how to tune it. And that was second nature to us back then. Oh, yeah. 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 Tune it till it glows. <laughs> That story of bringing stuff home from the ham fest, I used to always tell people when you're bringing stuff in the house, you walk in the house backwards because then if you get caught, you just stop and you'll pretend like you're bringing it out. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's, a, that's, that's a good point, uh, Alan. When I was in the Air Force, um, there were some guys that were, they were actually building rooms. They were building rooms in their open bay barracks, and they were, they were, they had located some material, building material. And they were getting, you know, uh, plywood and two-by-fours and stuff. And the SPs pulled up and says, what are you guys doing? And they said, we're dumping this stuff here. And, it's, and, and the SP said, Don't, you're not going to dump that stuff here. Load it back on the truck and get it out of here. <laughs> so that's how, that's how things worked back then, man. All right, guys. Well, I, had friend, uh, I had a friend that would go and collect all the junk from Hamfest, like at Dayton, the stuff that they just left in the parking lot, and he would put that in his van and his trailer, and he would spend the rest of the year selling it at Hamfest. Man, yeah. I used to, yeah, I at Dayton, I used to, man, when it was over, check out the trash cans because there was some good stuff in those trash cans. Heavy stuff, but really good stuff. Yeah, heavy and good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, Bill, um, you mentioned earlier, uh, I think about, was it Jamboree on the air? Yeah. Did they uh, sent up a tracker, a uh, uh, I think. You want to tell us about there it? There was a group in Illinois, uh, and let's see. I, actually, it was, um, let me bring up their website here. It was W9WWI, I'm sorry, Indiana, Jeffersonville, Indiana. And let's see if I can share some of the photos from it. Uh, but they had a great uh, launch of a balloon with an APRS tracker that uh, over the weekend for the Jamboree on the air. And uh, I always enjoy seeing um, 
uh, young folks getting really excited about ham radio. So let me see if I can um, share that here. Okay, there we go. There it is. There it comes. Do you see that, uh, it's, Tom? Uh, it's getting here. It's a little slow, but it's getting here. All right, it so, says uh, you have started sharing. There we go. We've got it. We've got it now. We've got it now. So uh, after several days' flight, uh, it showed up in Newfoundland uh, on the second day, and then um, a really interesting thing on the left there, you can see it showed up just of Ireland um, this morning after crossing the Atlantic Ocean. And then it stopped, and it appeared again just off the east coast of the United Kingdom. And if you look close, it's going 10 miles an hour. Um, that's where my geofence kicked in. It started up in the morning and immediately hit the geofence and stopped transmitting, and then it came back alive uh, right on the east coast of the United Kingdom because, for some reason, the U.K. prohibits airborne use of amateur radio. So right. I abide by that, and I put a geofencing algorithm in the uh, trackers. But this is a classic example showing that it does indeed work. So well, I, you know, we, we've had several launches. We've always kind of missed going over England, so we never knew how well it worked. But here's a good example. Oh, yeah, it worked great. And so here's some photos of their launch. They launched some test balloons with the silver foil milers. But the actual is right here on the right with an SPS 13 and the scout group. It looks like they have beautiful weather. So um, there's the SPS 13 on the right uh, or rock there. Uh, that's a plastic uh, balloon that uh, goes up to about 41 to 41,000 feet or so using helium and about 43,000 feet using hydrogen. So. It looks like they had a great time and uh, got the scouts really excited. So, And they're really double excited now that it's made it across the Atlantic and uh, heading for Denmark. So I just wanted to let you know about that the really right. uh, interesting well. uh, thing. And there's another group launched by a school in Pella, Iowa, that went around the world. Uh, they just completed their first lap, and they... The really cool thing about their flight is, after going completely around the world, taking about 21 days to do so, it actually went across within three miles of the place they launched it from. It went right across the city of Pella, Iowa again. And that's just phenomenal that it actually yeah. returned almost directly to the launch site after going completely around the world. So. That was a that was a whiskey Bravo Zero United Radio Whiskey Dash Ten is that flight and it's still flying, so it's on a second lap now. So that's the some of the news going on in uh, the balloon world, and I think you've got some something going on shortly. Yeah, like we've got uh, we've got something here fixing a hit, uh, a hit tomorrow, and uh, let me just say this: I mean, you know. The the balloon launches we do may not be totally just a real in-depth ham radio project, but it's got a lot of ham radio in it from 
flying uh, QRP transmitters at high altitudes and trying to engineer uh, complete uh, 34-foot antennas that weigh less than one gram. And, you know, there's a lot in it here. Um, we've got one person in our room here, in our chat room, usually when he's, anytime the word balloon is mentioned, he says balloon goodbye, and he leaves us. So uh, most people here, I think, are interested in our balloon flights, and uh, uh, I, I hope uh, it's some interest to you. And um, uh, we're going to try to keep pushing the limits on this, and we're going to launch one tomorrow. You know, as Bill mentioned, the, that SBS balloon is about the only balloon that will fly at about 44,000 feet. There's, there's really nothing else out there really available for hams to try to fly. So over the past two years, we have tried to build a balloon that will exceed that altitude. And we've learned a lot uh, on construction and, and how to hold it together, I think. Um, but we've got one built, and we're going to launch tomorrow morning, and we're going to call this guy, we're going to call this guy W5KUB100. And we're going for the goal here. Now, our goal here was to, with a homemade balloon that cost less than $6, to uh, meet or exceed what that SBS balloon would do. Now, Here's my problem, and we had a big discussion on this last week, and I don't, I don't want to get into a 30-minute discussion on it, but uh, Glenn will probably jump in here in a minute, and we'll get Bill in here. It's very hard for me to know the exact, uh, the exact volume of this balloon. Here it is built, and it looks like it, it looks almost square, uh, but it looks more like a pillow. It's not completely round. And, um, in fact, the, actually the points come out a little bit on each corner. Now, Bill, Glenn claims there's an easy formula that you know that you can give me to tell me how much volume is in that balloon right there. So, yeah, what I just basically said is you know the amount of lift that you're going to get off of that thing full, so fill it out, measure the lift, and that will tell you how much volume you got in it. Any, any comments, Bill? Huh? That, that would be an easy way because you know the weight of the balloon material. Yep. You know the uh, what it, what a certain volume will lift. So that is the okay. Easy so way to I do know it. the weight. I know the weight of the balloon. Hmm. Now, now, what do I need to know next? Well, fill it with uh, completely up, like it's shown there. Yeah. To the point where it's almost pressurized. Yeah. Where it's completely full. Weigh the amount of lift that uh, that you have. Oh, wait, do I do I put lift? Do I do I put free lift in there also, or no, no? You're just measuring the lift okay. of the total, okay. just the balloon itself. Okay, uh, fully inflated, and uh, that combined with the weight of the balloon itself will tell you the uh, amount of helium or hydrogen that you put into it. Okay, just don't uh, cuff your feet and zap it on the carpet. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> got the ferns on. All right. Well, it's difficult to wait. Let me just up, say this: it, it'd be a nice fireball if it has any leaks. Are you, you saying? Are you saying? No, now, so, so, thing. Bill, how can I? How can I weigh that? Uh, okay. So I know what the uh, empty uh, balloon that we've constructed weighs. Now, if I fill it with hydrogen and I get it tight, how do I weigh that? It's going to well, be not weight. It's lift. Well, Bill said, you, "Don't you, you put it on your scale?" Yeah, and. Um, 
I have these hook weights. Yeah. So you get like a um, figure approximately how much lift you're going to see on that and then have a weight that is more than that. Okay, and bring it up to zero. And bring it up to zero. And then you put it on your scale Yep. and do a pair weight on the scale. Right. And then hook the balloon to it, and that negative value it's not really a negative value, but it will show as a negative value if you hit the tear button. That's your lift. But okay. I have these little weights that have hooks on them. Yeah, you can get yeah. Them on to make one. Yeah, you sent me one in our uh, last tracker. I've got one. Yeah, only that's only 50 grams. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a little weight with a hook on the end. All right, so... Um, and it's I, a precise weight. Uh, it's it is it is precise. I've used it to test my uh, my scales, and it's exactly fifty. So I guess there will be a difference. Is, there will be a difference between helium and hydrogen. Right. Do you have any kind of helium? I do. I, I got I've got some party helium, but I don't. That's that won't work very well. Well, you probably wouldn't. Uh, those party balloon tanks. No. Probably wouldn't have enough volume to completely inflate it from just one part. Well, anyway, Bill, Bill, you can see that. It's about, uh, that's about 60 or more inches square. And it's probably about close to 40 inches from the belly up to the top there. So You could approximate it uh, as a cylinder. Yeah, and that's uh, what that's you, what I've always I've always done that I've approximated it as a cylinder. But when you fold that top edge over, you, it right. it doesn't make a cylinder anymore, so you lose a little there. But I've done but all it's kinds. It's going to stretch yeah. out a little bit, so it's going to become more of a cylinder as yeah. it gets pressurized. So yeah, uh, you could do a cylinder calculation, and then uh, I would say you're approximately going to be about. Seventy uh, percent of the volume of a cylinder, roughly. Yeah. So uh, if you if you look at that table, if you look at the table there, an SBS balloon is thirty six inches laying flat. Thirty yeah. thirty six inches flat. That's seventy two inches in a circumference. This balloon here is a hundred and forty four inches in circumference. So uh, an SBS has a uh, diameter. It has a radius of about eleven inches when it's full. This one, will ha- this one has a radius when full of about forty-four inches. So we're going from a radius of eleven inches SBS to forty-four inches. It's a little bit shorter. It's about a foot and a half shorter, but there's a lot of volume there, and it's we don't know where it's going to fly. We just don't know. I would say roughly fifty thousand feet. Well, I'm I'm hoping we break the forty-five. That's our goal. Uh, you know, typically I use that spreadsheet, Bill, and I I, I I calculate the balloons like cylinders. You know, you know the height in inches and the the width and diameter and all that stuff. And it's always been pretty good, uh, but. I, I know there's a difference there, um, and uh, one thing I've got a lot of extra tape on this one. This one, this one weighs in at about 180 grams, and I've got a, mm-hmm. I probably have 80 grams of tape on there that that uh, I could get by without. Um, 80 you grams. You have how much tape on it? That what? How much? 
How much tape do you have on it? I'm guessing uh, uh, from measurements and 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 distances, uh, probably have about 80 grams of tape. And how much does the balloon itself weigh? Uh, the balloon weighed, uh, I think the balloon was 100 and s- 116 grams. So you're close to 200 grams total. Yeah, yeah. Which is about twice the weight of an SBS-13. That's right, but I think we have four times the volume here. Or three, I think we got at least three times the volume. The, the, the spreadsheet, I mean, when, when you multiply length time with, you know, take the area and so forth, an SBS is about, about 0.5 cubic meters. Uh, right. This one shows about one point, well, anywhere from 1.7 cubic meters to maybe 1.5. But right. here's something to think about. At the end of the day, isn't it about free lift at sea level or at ground level that, that you calculate for based on height? It's not really volume because you're not going to fill that the, thing up to begin with. The free lift only... Uh, uh, this turns into super pressure. It doesn't affect how high it goes. It's just okay. enough to get you off the ground, and it turns into uh, just super pressure. But it, it actually, the free lift, uh, if you vary that, it really doesn't make a difference in the float altitude. Well, Bill, Not I've done all kinds of calculations with the spreadsheet with, with different amounts of free lift. And again, based on a varying uh, cubic feet, but... I'm looking at. I'm looking but I at. Think, I think when it really pressurizes, it's going to turn more into more of a round uh, cylinder. cylinder. Okay, it'll turn more into a cylinder. So I'm looking at. I'm, I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about 17 grams free lift. Uh, and when um, I when I ran that number, that puts our pressure, our internal pressure pretty low actually in this material i've tested it like four times the pressure that this balloon should be under when it's flying up there so it's all uh it's all kind of i mean i'm doing as much scientific as i can with the spreadsheets and weighing and so forth uh but it's it's still going to be kind of hit and miss you know yeah well, it looks interesting. Uh, it'll probably generate from UFO reports. Well, one thing about it, uh, I, I probably don't need to send up a radar reflector with it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it might it it might look like a UFO actually. Uh, I hadn't thought about it, that. It does now. <laughs> yeah. Well, what you need to do is on the outside, just kind of paint it. You know, take me to your leader. Yeah. Yeah. Put one of those uh, discs on it like they have on Voyager. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bill, the um, I, I used the uh, homemade manometer. You've seen my pictures of my manometer that I, that I use and uh, inches of water, and that converts over to PSI. And uh, I took the, uh, in fact, uh, actually, I, this, this, this is a different one here, but the same material. And I took it up to 19 inches of water before it exploded. And uh, uh, probably, it looks like, during, with all the spreadsheets, it looks like maybe four inches of water 
is about the pressure that you really need to be able to survive. And we're at 19 with that material. Uh, so don't know. This, by the way, Bill, this, this one right here is a dollar and a half. Look at this. This is a this is a dollar and a half SBS. Right. This this well, is uh this is uh, uh laying flat, you know, laying flat is thirty six wide. That's an SBS is thirty six wide. And an SBS is ninety long. This is this one's eighty four long, thirty six by eighty. And it's mylar, it's the silver. And this is the one I took up to 19 uh, inches of water pressure. And the tape, the tape on it, that already comes on it for the sleeping bag. This is a sleeping bag. The tape actually did a great job holding it together. It, I didn't have any leaks, and I was real surprised with the tape. Now, you can't heat seal that stuff. You have no, to this will not. I, I, I tested it. It will not heat seal so at all. Um, now, the one thing I have concern about this material is the amount of layers that it has. Yeah. Uh, you could potentially get pinhole leaks unless it's uh, multi-layered, and I don't know how many layers are in that. I have, I have no so, idea. No idea. And uh, the one thing that makes those uh, Mylar balloons uh, work from Qualitex is they have, like, five layers in them, and they have, a, um, you know, yeah. and they're all different layers so i don't know uh, how this is going to perform as far as a leak uh how do you plan to fill it uh, mark suggested like a, a basketball filler uh well kind of if you notice if you notice uh this thing has four corners on it and uh right. there i had i completely sealed the the seals and the four corners really uh tight but uh, to to actually put this air in there, I cut one of the corners to get access to it and uh, put my filler uh, hose in that corner. And what, uh, what I'm going to do to seal it, I'm just going to come back about five or six inches on that corner. And in, in the middle there, I'm going to hit it with some uh, 3M adhesive and let it get tacky. And then just as we sealed those other experimental balloons last year, we're going to just... Crinkle that down really tight, twist it real tight. I'll uh, I'll wrap something around it to protect it. We'll put a couple uh, uh, tie wraps on it, pull it tight, and then we'll fold it back. We'll fold it back 180 degrees with another tie wrap on there. So that's how we plan on that's how we plan mm -hmm. on uh, uh, you know sealing this after we get the hydrogen in it. Now, uh, how do you think that tape's going to handle when it's down to minus 50? Uh, well, that. I don't know. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't test it down to minus 50, but I did test it down uh, to like near zero just just for a quick test. Uh, I, I put test strips in the freezer, uh, even okay. the even the adhesive test strips in the in the freezer. And of course, I know that's not minus 50, but uh, it, it gives us some indication that, you know, it didn't get moist. It didn't start peeling off, uh, you know. This thing, you know, it. Hey, it. We may have. It may leak. I don't know. We we just don't know. This is a, a real. This is an experiment, guys. Tomorrow, an experiment. I did inflate it there with just plain air. I uh, got it pretty tight, and I did seal the end, and it stayed up just like that for the last five days. It didn't leak down any. Um, so I'm just hoping that 
you know, typically other balloons that I have built, Bill, uh, within a few hours, they'll usually leak out somewhere. But after five days, this one still felt just like it did when we, uh, when That's we good. started it. So, now, that, when you put that tape on, you also use a 3M adhesive on it? Yeah, what I did, let's, let's, uh, if you take the, um, to start with, I took the 144 inches as a circumference because I wanted a I wanted a fatter balloon. I didn't want a long skinny one. I wanted a fat one. So we took the 144 inches and brought it around and made it a circle, and that makes a 12 uh, foot circumference. And what I did, Bill, I uh, I overlapped it about an inch and a half, and I ran three inch tape, three inch poly tape down that seam. And it, the, the tape, uh, in testing, the tape, you can't pull it apart. It's as strong as the mylar itself, the tape is. But then we turned it inside out, and where we had, had overlapped it, we raised that inch and a half up, and we sprayed we sprayed that entire piece all the way down with uh, 3M90 uh, uh, adhesive. And then you know, about 45 seconds later, that stuff gets really tacky, and then we fold it over. Yeah. You fold it over, and that's, I mean, once it touches, you can't untouch it. it, it so you got to lay it down flat uh, because you're not going to move it. Uh, I think the adhesive would hold it. That that three-inch tape adds, a three-inch tape adds about, um, I don't know, three, three grams. Three grams per foot, I think. And you're uh, planning to launch this uh, at what time tomorrow? Uh, we're going to launch about nine in the morning. Uh, I've got to hey, I've got to go by the doctor, and and uh, the the vampire wants to see me. It's time for my physical, so I'll go give a little bit of blood about seven thirty in the morning, and at eight o'clock I'll be back home. And we're going to put some. Uh, oh, I thought maybe you were actually going along on the flight and they were just doing uh, some no. preliminary test, biological test <laughs> yeah. before you go. So we're going to, we're going to, uh, hopefully we'll get in the air by about nine o'clock and uh, it'll be W5KUB 100 is what we designated. I know that's a big number, but hey, we're, we're shooting for the stars. We're, we're going for the goal. So I thought let's make it 100 and let's just see what happens. And it'll you know? be. BW5KUB itself on Whisper, on 20-meter right. Whisper. That's right. Yep. And you're using channel Q7. Yeah. Whatever whatever okay. that is we have set up is Q7. All right. Yeah. Super. All right. So that's that's what we got. That's what we're going to do tomorrow morning. So everybody, I don't think we can do anything live. It's real difficult with just two of us, one trying to you know get the balloon launch and one holding the tracker and not break anything. So it's really tough to get live video. So we'll try to get a little video of the launch for sure, some pictures, and we'll put it on our Facebook group, and we'll have it on the show next week. And uh, hopefully next week we can. And the comment from Mike in 7ZEF, if this works and flies, will this make news as a Chinese weapon? You're actually going to send it to Japan, to China. So. Well, yeah, uh, we hope it makes it to China. We, uh, we, we, we hope it makes it that far. Uh, who knows? Um, we've used dry ice before to do battery testing. You know, we tested the LiPo batteries to see how high they would go in, in altitude and, and work and so forth. But we didn't, we didn't go that far on this one. Uh, I, know it gets, I know it's going to get cold up here. 
but uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. You know, it's going to be a pretty good sized target if it if it fills up tight, and if it if it stays in the air a week, it's going to be pretty good sized target. Now, you know, our goal, Bill, our our goal really, our our true goal was to try to fly fifty five. That's what I always want to do, fly fifty five thousand. But I'm not sure that's going to happen. So our our goal has been revised right now, and that is we're going to try to <clears throat> we're going to try to meet what an SBS balloon will do. And if we can if we can keep this thing in the air for a couple weeks or a month or two months, and it costs six bucks to make it, and it flies at fifty at forty five thousand, that's great. Bill, this now, uh, Mark makes a good comment. It'll make an easier target for them to to shoot it down. Well, it it and it will it will. Let's see. Could it be seen yeah, from the space station? Yeah, but it's going to be fifteen thousand feet higher up. And uh, you know, I, I'm hoping. I, I was hoping for sixty five thousand. Now that may be hoping too much. Um, you know, uh, we'll be real happy if we can if we can just break sixty. But the thing is, if we go too high, Bill, you know, if we go too high, we don't have any wind up there. And we're going to be really slow trying to get around the world if we get too high. So, I don't know. That's the trade-off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the trade-off is you'll be above 99% of the storms, but you'll be going slow. And I think the storms are what typically brings everything down. And uh, so, so Bill, Bill, if you look at if you look at the sleeping bag here, this sleeping bag, when you put the numbers into the spreadsheet, the, the float spreadsheet, this thing is very close. Well, it's very close to the SBS in size, but when you put the numbers in, now that particular one looks like a pretty good cylinder. Yeah, it it, it really does. It it does. And um, how's this one different than the other one you showed? Is it uh, this one is a sleeping bag? It came already already taped up into a sleeping bag. You can see it there. Where the other one. The other one is I'm using an emergency blanket. I was able to find the same material as a sleeping bag, but I found it in extra large blanket that's 144 inches or 12 foot in diameter. Oh, okay. So that's the reason we wanted to go with it because we got twice the diameter, twice the uh, diameter of the material. So this should have about four times the volume. This should have about four times the volume of the. Of, of that. My, my biggest concern with these materials is the leakage through the material. Yeah. But if you say that you've had it out for four days and it hasn't really leaked, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. But I don't know. Well, I get, we will see tomorrow. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, hey, it may, exciting hey you know, it may come down. It may come down in the first one hour. We don't and know. And the whisper, by the way, to answer the question that uh, John W-H-J-E-S just uh, posted, it will be 20-meter whisper. At the two-minute mark is W-5-K-U-B. At the four-minute mark, every 10 minutes, it'll be uh, something like Q-X-7-X-X-X. So in the Xs, it will be different values with the telemetry. So if you and see Bill, it's, W-5-K-U-B it's, it's, it's doing, it's doing QRSS and KT-9. I think. Oh, that's right. I think that's right. So, yeah. uh, it'll also be on JT nine, and uh, I think about the eight minute mark, and uh, it'll be doing a slow CW uh, just below the whisper band. Um, 
So if you have a program called Argo, you can uh, watch the slow CW. Uh, do you, did you put the slow CW around 92092? Well, I think I think it's where whatever the code was you had written, I think that's where it is. Okay, well, we'll find uh, you know, out. Before I had tried to shift the frequency, and, you know, I, I didn't do that on this. Okay. I didn't do it, so, so we'll, uh, we'll I, see. I believe it'll be in the actual QRSS band, uh, which is just uh, approximately 80 to 100 hertz below the edge of the whisper band. Well, I, I know meters. here, listening listening here on my whisper receiver, I hear the QRSS. You know, I can hear it. Okay, good. And then uh, the uh, JT9 will be just between the – it'll be kind of around uh, – just below the whisper band and just above yeah. the QRSS segment. So um, that'll be interesting to listen for, too. So I'll set up here to uh, decode the JT-9 and the whisper. Okay. And Mark's saying we ought, to, we ought to fly this sleeping bag just to see where to fly. I think it's sleeping bag. See, Bill, an SBS weighs 109 grams. This sleeping, yeah. bag, this sleeping bag weighs 80 grams. With the tape? Yes, that that bag right there is eighty grams. Well, it looks roughly the same volume. Yeah, as eighty. The, uh, yeah, eighty grams. So uh, I don't know. Uh, we need to just get a. Uh, we need to get a right. uh, get a test out of just the of the sleeping bag, and that way, hey Bill, we can report we're flying a sleeping bag around the world. You know. There you go. Yeah. Well, that'll be exciting. I'll be uh, looking for it tomorrow. Okay. Well, it's a little late to open the phone lines, I think, or open uh, Zoom for anybody. Let's see any other questions in the chat room. Uh, yeah, Mark said we shouldn't worry about going slow, longevity. Uh, yeah, I, I, hey, I don't know, man. I'm hoping this material will stay super pressurized for months. I don't know, but uh, we'll see. Tonight, the nice thing about... Uh uh, going a little higher and going a lot slower is if you put eventually we can get a crossband repeater going um, that would be pretty awesome because it would cover a multi-state area and uh, it would be a slow moving thing and would provide great emergency comms uh, for a particular area yeah yeah because you're at the minimum wind fields of both between 50 and 70,000 feet. That's usually the lightest winds. So you could actually have an almost stationary com communications platform. All right. Well, you guys uh, stick with us tomorrow morning on our Facebook group. We'll try to keep you updated uh, as much as we can or as quickly as we can. Also, uh, just go to APRS. I actually... Just go to our website. Go to w5kub.com and click on balloon. And if you click on the balloon up in the menu, it'll take you to our balloon page. And at the very top of our balloon page, uh, we've got a, a write-up on the balloon we're launching. And there's a link there to, to click on to uh, to track it. And it, it, tr it takes you to aprs.fi. And uh, that's w5kub.com. Yep. Or E I R E U at ask where the link is. So. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. So I'm just gonna pull it up here real quick. Uh, and I'll show everybody. And this will be a good place to watch for it. Um 
So you just type in W5KUB.com, enter it, and it brings you up to our website. This is our website. Up at the top up here, you'll see the word balloon. If you just click on balloon, it's going to take you to this page. And uh, this, this is a simple way to find it. Just If you look right here, it says uh, track the balloon on APRS by clicking here. You can just click right there, and it'll, it'll, it'll bring up the track. Also, I've got, uh, I've got a map up down here. Uh, there's a map here. This is a Hab Hub. A Hab Hub here uh, should show it, I think. So uh, you can see it here, or you can click on this link right here that takes you to APRS.FI like this and it should take you to W5KUB 100 and that's what that says right there and uh, that will give you the information like the altitude and so forth and and where it is so um, that's where you need to be tomorrow morning I need to get high, uh, high, high split turned on I hadn't thought about that Bill but I'd like to get high split turned on. Uh, I'll contact my friend down in New Zealand or somewhere. Do you do you have any contacts, Bill? To uh, that guy and the, the fellow in Australia. Australia, yeah. Uh, that's that would be the uh, he's one of the admins, and that's right. That's who I deal. Sweet. That's who I deal with most of the time uh, down there. Uh, but if you know somebody else that has another door into setting up the high split, it'd be it'd be cool to have it set up. I'll, after the show tonight, I will go ahead and send an email to uh, him down in Australia and ask to set up high split. High split actually will allow us to get the uh, uh, tracking uh, prediction model of where this balloon's going, and it's usually pretty accurate. Yeah. Uh, it all depends on what your final float altitude will be, however. Yeah. All right, we're uh, we're getting close to the end of the show here. Uh, if anybody's out there listening on WBCQ on International Shortwave, we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to Amateur Radio Roundtable. It's a show about ham radio. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, send us an email to tom at w5kub.com. Tell us where you are, and we'll try to get you a QSL card from WBCQ. Okay, you had a typo in here, Bill. Your last comment. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You had a typo. Hopefully, you would get dollar signs. Uh, uh, yeah. I was going to yeah. say, send your money to Tom. He'll take yeah, all these send money here. Man, I, you know, hey, man, I, I'm all, I'm all psyched up about this. I, we've been wanting to do this for a long time, and, and. We just don't know how it's going to go, but I have I have I have a higher level of confidence. You know, we we built a balloon uh, last year out of mylar. It was only thirty six inches wide, but we had like a twenty something foot piece, and when we we folded it back, you know, and then we did a we did a heat seal down the edges, you know, to make it a, a cylinder. Well, that I don't think it. I think it came apart pretty quick uh, as it went up because when you heat seal that material and, and you've got it together like this and you heat seal it, 
when it, when the gas expands in there, it it's like peeling tape off of a a roll of tape. It it just it it peels like this and comes apart. But if you if we had put those seams together like this, like a a, a butt type splice, and ran the tape down it, you couldn't pull that thing apart. So we we found out that you know a butt splice is better than a a flat splice like this. Uh, I think we overdid it uh, with the tape this time. The tape and the the uh, the adhesive. The adhesive adds the adhesive adds uh, two tenths of a gram per foot, and we've got about there's probably thirty feet of seam in this big balloon we made. So you know that would be what six grams if we could just get by with that. The tape at three grams of Three grams a, a foot, that would be 90 grams. So, you know, I think we overdid it, but we're, we're trying to put so much redundancy in this thing to hold it together. Because, guys, it's, it's, that's not an easy place up there to be. Um, and even though, even though you're looking at pressures of, you know, P, PSI, uh, Bill, the spreadsheet shows PSI pressures at the altitude of like, 0.1 psi. Well, you think that's not much, but that's a heck of a lot. When we built that big balloon and we had those nylon nets around it, that net was popping like gunshots going off with at that one tenth of a pound per square inch. You know. So you know, right now our. Uh, who else do you got to helping you for the lunch tomorrow? Well, I've got my my friend uh, Ed's Ed's going to be with me. Uh, he uh, retired with me from FedEx, and uh, uh, he was an IT guy, but he uh, has been doing uh, air conditioner type uh, work uh, since he retired. And uh, so I just let him get the gas. He's he's my gas man. I don't think we would have any trouble getting the hydrogen, but of course uh, it's easy for him just to walk in at at this uh, place to get it. Um, I could probably buy it, at, you know, at, at most any welding supply shop. We will use hydrogen tomorrow. Hydrogen's going to give us maybe a couple thousand more feet, and that's what we're, right. that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to. N seven XGR said the ants will stay in the sleeping bag all of the time because it's warmer there. It it may be, it may be, you know. So, you know, Bill, I was looking at the spreadsheet again. It's just changing numbers around. It looked like about every. 10 grams is about a thousand feet i may be wrong uh but uh so if if i could take 80 grams of tape off this balloon we might could get it to go up another eight thousand feet i don't know don't know it'll be very interesting so i'll have everything rigged up here it's gonna be fun it's gonna be fun tomorrow Let's see what it does, man. I'm I'm pumped up. I'm excited about this. If you see on the TV a UFO uh, going yeah. across Memphis, uh, that's us. You know. Yep. Okay, guys. Well, uh, let's go ahead and we'll end the show. Uh, I, I appreciate and thank everybody that joined us tonight. We had a good turnout on the show tonight, and uh, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Save me through to everybody. <laughs>